0: Hello, my name is Dr. Bertrand Liang and welcome to Patient Stories, episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. Today, I'd like to talk about Ted, a former colleague of mine. who was only a quote unquote patient for a brief time. And this is the first time I've ever relayed this story. Ted was a dentist who'd practiced a couple of years before going back for more training and surgery in a fellowship program specifically designed to transition dentists into maxillofacial surgeons. He'd rotated on various services, including neurosurgery, with whom my neurology service shared a floor. We got to know one another by being in a common conference room, trying to get work done and grabbing various meals during the same time. He was from the Midwest and was living remotely from his family while he was in the three-year fellowship program at the university. I remember I told him that he looked like the singer Jackson Brown, in which he responded with the most out-of-tune version of the song, Stay, that I had ever heard. Still think there's a resemblance? He asked me afterward, and I replied that I'd appreciate if he'd forget I ever mentioned it. He laughed and told me that it wouldn't be forgotten. Of course it wasn't. Ted needed to get familiar with hospital procedure and things like documentation in the patient chart, as well as rounding on admitted patients and the general milieu of the hospital environment. I helped him out as much as I could and found that he was indeed a quick study and his ease of personality belied an intensity and focus probably brought on by being a bit older than his peers. He tried to be diligent and on the weekends he wasn't on call, made the four hour drive back home to be with his family. But those weekends were relatively few given his low man on the totem post status and the rigors in general of surgical training. So we would often talk in the conference room that we'd met about plans for the future, academics, challenges of practice, how much we both hated being on call, and just the lack of time for anything beyond medicine. He did note that his one failing was cars, and he drove a 911 Porsche that was, as he said, a present to myself when I graduated dental school and which I'll be paying off a long, long time if the bank doesn't take it back." I chuckled and told him that he would pay for that moment of weakness. He should have gotten a VW like me. Hey, same car so don't judge me, he noted poignantly. We both laughed and went back to our duties. One day, Ted looked pretty horrible, and I assumed that he'd been on call the night before. He didn't speak to me in the morning when we were both checking lab values on our patients from the night before, and he rushed out of the room afterwards without a word. I saw that he'd left his pile of index cards with patient data on the table, so I grabbed it and ran after him, catching up to him down the hall, where he was rushing to get to rounds. After seeing me, he gave me a slight smile, and I threw his cards to him, to which he thanked me and asked if he could talk after rounds. I told him to page me and left. Ted didn't page me later on, so I assumed he was doing some scut work that had to keep him busy post-call late into the day. This wasn't an uncommon scenario for any of us, and I didn't really pay attention to the fact. However, the next day, I didn't see Ted in the conference room nor anyone else from the surgical service for that matter, but again, didn't really think anything of it. I was on call that night. So I was trying to get everything straightened out before having to endure the onslaught of calls from the floors and the emergency department for things that might have gone awry or which they needed an urgent assessment. After midnight, I was told there was a bad motor vehicle accident that was being flown in by our Angel Flight helicopter service and that it was pretty bad. I never liked this since one never really knows what trauma can result in these types of things. But it's virtually always that the trauma surgeons who take over the case. I didn't get called very much that night, but early in the morning I did get called from the surgical intensive care unit that they were prepping for a transplant organ donation. This was parlance for me to having to do a brain death examination where we neurologists need to document lack of brain activity in a patient that can then allow organs to be harvested. While a standard and precise activity, it isn't something that anyone relishes doing, but on a teleologic basis, it is appropriate to save others if we can. I went up to the ICU and was stopped by one of the surgical residents. She'd asked if I'd heard about the MVA last night, to which I noted I had. Bert, you need to know it was Ted who was in that accident, she said. He didn't make it. I was incredulous. Ted had died in a car crash last night? How could that happen? Well, he's not gone yet. You need to do that, she said. I, of course, then realized what I was expected to do. I was going to have to declare my friend Ted, the guy I shared stories with, the dentist who I checked labs with just the other morning, the guy who couldn't sing in tune. He would be the person I needed to tell the transplant team, did not have any signs of active brain function. I sat down not believing it. Ted had to go back home the other day, the resident told me. He was having major problems with his wife. She had filed for a divorce, and he needed to get back. He was coming back here since he wasn't called this weekend. I was just numb. Right then, all of a sudden, I hated medicine. I hated that I was forced to think about my friend, who was never going to have a conversation with me again. I hated that he needed to rush home and then rush back to be on call. I hated that fate could be this cruel to a guy who, with dreams and goals and plans for the future. I took a deep breath to try to calm down. I needed to understand that this was part of the job, that we need to be ready for when tragedy hits, that with such tragedy we might be able to save others' lives of those in need. But nonetheless, I only partially fought back tears, as did the surgical resident. Without another word, I went into the ICU and to Ted's bedside. He was unrecognizable. His swollen face was filled with lacerations and bruises, and he was wrapped in various bandages and braces due to the myriad of body parts that were only hanging on by a thread. I got to work, focusing carefully and mindful of exactly what I was doing, and not letting my mind wander. I finished, took the chart from the station, went off to the corner to be alone to document that there was no evidence of brain function, order the EEG, and note I would go to review the CT scan. I then went into the on-call room, which was empty, into the bathroom, and then vomited. I sobbed once, cleaned my face, and went down to the radiology suite. Ted left behind his family, including two kids under the age of 10. I think about him often. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.